back to the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Elisa Ilana Jewelry and ElisaIlana.com. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Welcome back to the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Elisa Ilana Jewelry. Well, you've heard his voice as the lead singer for rock band Kansas. You've heard his production work on albums from bands like Petra. He has produced over 100 albums for major labels for both the mainstream and Christian music markets. He's built the largest recording studio in the southeastern U.S., started and headed several music labels, and he has the recognition to prove his success. Ten Grammy nominations, four Grammys, and numerous Dove Awards. He joins us now to talk about his mega career. He's got four Grammys, producer in every way. Hear what he has to say, John Elefante. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, that was great. Thank you. (laughs) Hey, thanks for being here. You have a new album out, On My Way to the Sun, that reunites you with the Kansas guys on the opening track. And this is how the story goes is the name of that track. So tell us about getting back with everybody. Well, I wrote this 11-minute epic, if you will, and the song is kind of Kansas-y, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a couple of the guys in Kansas play on, on the song? Uh-huh. And as soon as I heard it, they agreed to, and it just kind of completed the, the song. It, it made it all make sense at that point. Now, have you guys gotten together at all? When did everybody break up? 85. Okay. Have you worked together since then or no? I worked with Carrie Livgren on my last record that came okay. out in '09. Okay. Now, did you part ways amicably? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, things were kind of in disarray when I left okay. because they were losing their singer. They were losing their main nucleus of the band, who, in my opinion, is Carrie Livgren. Mm-hmm. And Carrie was parting, and they wanted me to stay in the band. And I just didn't want to stick around without Carrie because, you know, Carrie is, really is Kansas. Mm-hmm. Now, you were kind of going through a personal metamorphosis at that time, too, right? Uh, lots of them. Okay. <laughs> Not just one. The real metamorphosis took place probably in, you know, midway through the 90s. I was long gone from Kansas. Okay. But I'd be lying if I said that the Kansas thing didn't go to my head. Okay. Was I backslidden? I don't know. I guess you can call it that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to put God on the back burner. Okay. And you don't always know you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's cheating on his wife or he's doing this or he's doing that. It's not always that blatant. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, none of that was going on in my life. Okay. I mean, but what was starting to happen to me was, you know, you get so busy and you get so into the cares of the world. I mean, the cares of the world will take you down. Stuff, making a living, uh-huh. raising your children, pressure, things, uh-huh. you know. And what happened to me was I've built a few new houses. I, I kind of do that on the side. I, I love designing houses. And okay. Stuff. But anyway, uh-huh. you, you pour a driveway for a house and you notice a little hairline crack in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then you look at it about three years later, and that thing's going 30 feet down the driveway. Right. Well, there was a time in my life when that hairline crack was in the foundation of who I was. Uh And it was brought to my attention that, you know, you better do something about this crack, bro, because it's just going to keep growing. And this is the foundation of who you are. And if, if you don't get this right, then the house can't stand. Now, this was after the Kansas stuff. This is the real metamorphosis when it, when it took okay. place. The main metamorphosis. Yeah, that was, that was the main one. There, there was a series of, of, when I left Kansas, I mean, I had one goal, man. I, I was shot out of a cannon. I, I just had this goal to go out and get a record deal, a big record deal, become this megastar rock singer, and I was going to show everybody. God had other plans for me. Uh-huh. We started getting calls to produce other bands. 
we owned a we owned a fairly nice little studio in Long Beach, California, where I, where I grew up. Okay, was so it your brother? You and your brother, right? Yeah, me and my brother Dino. Okay, but you know, we we started getting these calls to produce all these bands, and pretty soon, before you know it, six years has gone by, mm-hmm. and you've produced twenty records, and all your songs that you've written for your solo record that was going to make you the next Brian Adams, they they've been placed on other records. Okay, got gotcha. to make a long story short. I I didn't know a lot about Christian music. Uh-huh. When I left Kansas, uh-huh. I didn't know that it was a whole genre out there, mm-hmm. and I didn't know just exactly how God used rock music to bring people to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened to me in, in, in two ways. I went to see the, the the Res Band, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the show, he puts his guitar down and starts preaching. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Whoa!" So what he just did was he got everybody in the palm of his hand with his music. Mm-hmm. Now he's going to feed them the Word of God. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we're here talking with four-time Grammy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and producer, John Elefante, former lead singer of Kansas. Now, your big metamorphosis, was there a person that helped you find this or an event that happened? There was an event that happened. Okay. So what happened? Uh, Sometimes I'm reluctant to to talk about it. Okay. Because, I mean, I consider myself charismatic ladies, but I'm very guarded with it because... You know, I don't want to speak about my stature, but I have reached a place where sometimes people will try and use that with me. Uh-huh. Like, you know, God told me that, uh, you know, that you should be the next producer on my record. <laughs> oh, you know, okay. God, you get a little leery of it sometimes because sure. I think people do abuse it. Right. Once in a while. I'll tell you what happened. Okay. During the writing of one of my records called Defying Gravity mm-hmm. in the late 90s, mm-hmm. I had written a whole record musically. That's the way I write. I write the music and then I write the melody and then I woodshed and I write the lyric. Okay. Well, it was my time to woodshed and write the lyric and I was dry as a bone. Mm. I had nothing. Everything felt cliche, mm-hmm. felt just, you know, hokey. Mm-hmm. It just, it wasn't real. It wasn't, it didn't have the teeth I wanted it to have. Uh-huh. I get a phone call on a Saturday afternoon okay. from a guy that I haven't seen in 12 years. He says, hey, John, this is so-and-so. How you doing, man? Oh, fine, man. It's great to hear from you. And he said to me, I had a dream. I just felt like I had to get your number and share this dream with you. <laughs> and he said, well, I, I had a dream that you just built a new house. I said, okay, that's true. We just moved into our new house two weeks ago. Okay. And he said, in the house, there was a pretty big-sized kitchen. I said, okay, you got my attention now. There's a, pretty, <laughs> there's a pretty big kitchen in this house. And he said, upstairs, there were two adjacent bonus rooms, pretty large rooms that were adjacent from each other. Okay. So this guy's really got my attention wow. at this point. He said, we walked back down the stairs. He said, some hardwood floor was coming up in the kitchen, and he can see the crawl space under the house. He goes, can you get me a flashlight? I need to look under there. Man, that's not right. So I gave him a flashlight, puts his head under there, and he tells me, there's a hairline crack in the entire foundation of your house. My God! Tell me this on the phone. <laughs> and the first thing I'm thinking is, call the builder, call the builder. You know, our house is going to sink. I'm thinking of it in earthly. Earthly term. You're taking it literally, yeah. I'm like, whoa. I said, anything else in the dream? He goes, nope. He goes, whatever that means to you. So we, we got off the phone, and I sat there. And I'll tell you, ladies, the Spirit of the Lord just like, I mean, came upon me like I don't think I've ever felt in my life. Wow. And, you know, I started crying. I mean, you know, that crack is not in the foundation of our house. That's in my heart. Mm. 
That's where the crack is. And if I don't get this fixed, then I could never be the man of God that, that he wants me to be. Wow. And, you know, you talk about somebody having a word for you that was right on the money. I mean, this is real stuff, man. It happened. Mm-hmm. And as it pertains to the music, that whole record was dedicated to that theme. I call the record Defying Gravity. When I kneel before you, I'm defying gravity. When I stop giving in to the cares of this world, then I'm defying gravity. Wow. wow. So you had all the lyrics then that just probably poured out of you after that. It, it presented the whole theme for the record. Uh-huh. It then became real. It was, a, it was a life-changing experience. Absolutely. Wow. Let's go back. Now, you grew up in a musical family. You had a family band, right? Before you joined Kansas? You know what? Me, my brother, and my two cousins had a band called The Brotherhood. Okay. Hmm. And I was only 13 when we got hired to play at Disneyland. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a pretty good gig for 13. I mean, we had a record deal by the time I was 15. It was a singles deal back when record companies used to just sign a band just to do a single. Okay. Uh And then you auditioned for the lead singer for Kansas, and you got that gig. So then how much did that change your life? Uh, Tremendously. Uh I really didn't notice how much that had changed my life until years after. Okay. Mm -hmm. But after it was all over, I was bummed because it was going from the lead singer of this mega rock band to back to sort of just, you know, I guess nothingness. Right. Did you kind of have a depression at that point? I did. Uh Uh-huh. I did. I I really did. I hit a brick wall because when your life is moving that fast. Mm -hmm. And then it stops. You're like a train that just hits a wall. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, I started having anxiety attacks. And, I mean, it was weird stuff. Uh I'm getting pretty personal with you guys, but I don't mind. That's all right. That's all right. At some point, you purchased the studio in Nashville, or you built the studio in Nashville? Fast forward to 1993. Okay. We adopted a little girl, and we decided we wanted to move to Nashville for two reasons. To raise her and to open a recording facility for us where we can record bands on our label. Okay. And the studio got so popular... It got so booked, my brother and I had to start going downtown Nashville to record. (laughs) You had to pay somewhere else to record. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'll never forget there was one day we had Julio Iglesias, Bruce Springsteen in the back room, and the Faith Hill, Faith Hill, Julio, and Springsteen. Wow, amazing. I walked up to my brother's office. I said, do you believe who's in this building right now? Yeah. A, A couple of little punks from Long Beach, California have built the place and... Look who's in here, right? Isn't this cool? Yeah, if you build it, they will come concept. They did. (laughs) And then you sold it, right? Well, we sold it because we saw the trend of Pro Tools and home studios taking over. Right. Well, that was a smart move. Do you think your work in front of the mic, on tour, performing, and having your own studio, all of that contributed to your success as a producer, would you say? Yes. The way I produce, most people like this, some people didn't. I become a member of the band when I produce. Okay. I'm in the band. Mm-hmm. Which is a rare thing for a producer to have that knowledge of what it's like to be in the band. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of great producers, you know, are not really even musicians or artists themselves. Right. Exactly. That make great records. But in my case, I put myself in the band. When I worked with a singer, I'd know exactly what he was feeling when he told me he had a sore throat and couldn't sing anymore right. that day. Right. Right. I would say to him... I want to hear you sound a little strained because that translates to conviction for me. I don't uh-huh. want to hear your voice pure. And uh-huh. I've, I've dealt with every kind of singer imaginable. Mm-hmm. 
getting into the studio side of the business, purchasing that, where did that come from? Because you obviously not only had the musical creative side, but you had to have a good understanding of business and how to run it. That's not my gifting. My gifting was the artistic side of okay. things. My brother Dino had that gifting. Okay. So you had so a good partnership side. between the two of you. Yes. Yeah, so he started going out and just pulling in one producer after another. And he would say to people, look, come try our studio. Come try my parents' cooking because my parents used to cook. Okay. That's, that's where the kitchen came from, Sound Kitchen. Okay. And um, he would get producers. You know, when you own a studio like that, what you want to go after is not the artist. You want to go after the producers uh-huh. because the artists work where the producers want to sure. work. Pretty soon we had six or seven of the top producers in town mm-hmm. that would work nowhere else but the Sound Kitchen. Wow. And it probably had a very homey feel with the cooking. Oh, gosh. There was so much networking that went on between I players. Bet. Through all of this, you know, you've maintained a, a partnership with your brother, Dino. So yes. now has like the ups and downs when you were touring with Kansas. I mean, was there ever a strained relationship with him or were you able to kind of, I mean, the music business is so volatile. You guys are sisters, right? Absolutely. Yeah. How would one of you feel if one took off with another major touring act and one of you was kind of left behind? It would, it would how would it feel? It'd be bitter, I think it's bittersweet. Yeah, bittersweet. There's a little yeah, exactly, bit. There's yeah, a that's, pang. That's You're happy, but there's a pang there. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that's exactly the way it was. He was uh-huh. extremely happy for his brother. But, you know, his brother was suddenly gone. Right. Out doing all this stuff. You know, we'd been writing music together since we could tie our shoes, you know. and Right. You know, it was it was hard on him. Uh-huh. You know, and, and he poured his guts out to me a few times. And Before we let you go, I want to talk no. about the song This Time. Now, that's a roughly autobiographical song. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh-huh. It's loosely based on how my daughter came into this world. Okay. And the reason it's loosely based, because I only know some main bullet points. I know that she told me 19 years ago, the birth mother was 13, just like the song says. Wow. She told me that she was in the abortion clinic ready to abort. I mean, literally seconds. I know that she got scared at some point and asked to use the phone. She then went ahead and called her mom and told her mom she was pregnant. And her mom said, get out of that place right now. Just get out. I'm coming to pick you up right now. She, she carried the baby to term, and I carried her right from the hospital exactly about 12 hours after she was born. I'll tell you, ladies, I did not set out to write a, a pro-life song, even though I think you know where I stand on that by listening to the song. Right. The objective behind that song was to tell the story of how my daughter came into this world mm-hmm. and almost didn't come into this world. Right. The truth of the story. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And I, I couldn't get through the song without talking about the abortion part of it right. mm-hmm. because she was almost aborted. Uh-huh. And that's just part of it. Where it's really starting to get heavy is some of the reaction I'm, I'm getting from the song now. That's what I was wondering. What, is what the has reaction? been the reaction? Unbelievable. Everybody that writes me an email mentions that song. I don't just get standard emails like, oh, I like that tune. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like that. I mean, I get emails that are four pages long wow. about a woman that had, you know, had two abortions and, you know, how she walked around with this tremendous guilt. But the song had provided a certain amount of healing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever get any Christian radio stations to play it. Too controversial, is that? I, yeah, I don't think they'll take on that issue. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, uh, uh, they're worried about their sponsors. Uh, it was put to me by a programmer that I sent it to. You know, some women will take it like a knife in their back. If 
I know women that have had abortions mm-hmm. and that are now Christians, and it's like, I mean, these are spirit-filled Christians that say, you know, it never happened. That's the true forgiveness that only God, you know, can provide. Right. Mm-hmm. But the other side of the coin is the song has the potential to save a life. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the big brass ring right there. Right. I want as many young, you know, women contemplating abortions to hear this song as possible. Mm-hmm. And rather than hitting Christian radio stations, and this is not an indictment on Christian radio, we're going to send this to some people of influence that we know. We're making a four-minute short film on the, on the song. Okay. So we're going to promote it in a, quite a different way than just Christian radio. So it kind of has to have a life of its own outside of the radio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's exactly. really, you know, that is really surprising to me that I can definitely see how secular radio wouldn't play the song. But that really is surprising to me that Christian radio would, would not would want to yeah. stay away from that. You kind of feel a calling to get the message out for you. Well, I do because I, you know, I want to see a, a young woman or a middle-aged woman for that matter to think twice that there are so many great families out there right that are willing to adopt and you've lived it because you have I have two daughter. adopted kids uh-huh and and they told my wife and I we'd never be able to have a biological baby uh-huh. and guess what he's in the pool right now uh-huh. <laughs> oh wow okay. how old is he 11 he's 11, 11. gotcha wow. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this has been so interesting. We actually have one more question to ask you before yeah. we let you go. For each show, we have a topic that we ask each of our guests. How do you handle a put down personally? I don't take put downs too well. <laughs> okay. And, but you know what? That's a thorn in my side. That's something that I have to deal with. Right. It's not a good quality of mine. Mm-hmm. So do you do anything? I don't retaliate, no. Okay. You know, I'll talk to my wife about it. Why would this person do this to me? Mm-hmm. Kind Why of talk it through. Please, so get over it. Move on. <laughs> Very introspective and deep conversation with you. Yeah, we appreciate your honesty and sharing your personal feelings and everything with us today. Well, I appreciate you guys having me. It was great talking to you guys. Great talking to you too, John. All right. Take Have care. a great day. Take care. You Bye-bye. 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 And we're going to go to break with a sample of John Elefante's song off of his new CD, On My Way to the Sun. This is This Time. You've got it tuned to the Mulberry Lane Show. Right there. 